I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope everybody's having a fabuloso day. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. Here's my coffee. Um, I gotta confess, it's pumpkin spice. Ah, Lord knows how much I love coffee. Thank you, Jesus. It's one of the ways he says he loves me. All right, today we're going to be taking an... Uh, another look at the continuing story. Now we've shifted from Abraham. Now we're into the life of Jacob and Esau. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I think what a dysfunctional family. Uh, I was just talking with my son, Matt, about it, this. And, and uh, we have Isaac, who's, in my opinion, at this point in his life, is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I don't know if he's slipping into... Uh, hey, yeah, John, it is chilly. <laughs> I'm wearing my sweater. <laughs> uh, I don't know if perhaps he's slipping a little bit into losing his mind a little bit, dementia or whatever, but to be fooled by such a ruse that Rebecca and Isaac put over him, or that Rebecca and Jacob put over on him, uh, puzzles me a bit. And the conniving way that Rebecca Becca got her own way by tricking her own husband. And we, we know that Jacob is, uh, he's, not, he's not a believer in his father's gods. He's marrying the Canaanite women. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in today's lesson. And Jacob, the deceiver, very much in this for himself. He tricks his brother, older brother, out of the inheritance. Now, I, you know, I'm trying to wrap myself around all of this stuff. And I'm thinking maybe Jake was a little jealous that he's only a few minutes old, younger than, than uh, Esau. And that easily could have been him that could have been the eldest in this situation. Don't know. All I know is this is a divided family. Jacob is cheating his way around to get what he wants. He cheated his brother out of the birthright, and he cheated his brother out of the the blessing normally given to the firstborn. Um, Isaac and Rebecca are divided onto because of which child they prefer over the other. Isaac preferred Esau, which gets me because Esau is really not a godly man at all. Not that Jacob's much better at this point. And, but Isaac and Rebecca 
they're divided on this. And th this is a divided family. So this is not, uh, like I said before, this is not a beaver, cleaver, leave it to beaver type family. Uh, so anyway, let's get started. I'll chat more about this as we go on. Um, I'm kind of disappointed in all the characters involved in this story so far. Um, but let's get started. Here we are. Chapter 28. Oh, let me do this real quick. I have to update my file to allow for the changes I made. There we go, Genesis, there we are. All right, let's get this started here. Let's go find chapter 28. All right, there's 24, 27, all right, here we go. Chapter 28. Isaac has just uh, cheated his brother and fooled his dad with the help of his mother out of the blessing normally reserved for the firstborn. And it is what it is. He received it. So let's talk chapter 28. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Now, think about this a second. The last thing in the last chapter, Rebecca had said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women that Esau had married. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from the Canaanite or Hittite women, my life will not be worth living. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Paddan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Now, when he says, may he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession, that word kind of has connotations of taking something by force. The Hebrew verb here can mean taking possession by force, perhaps anticipating the concept of the holy war against the Canaanites. Now, we're going to find this when we get to Exodus eventually in chapter 22, 23, where God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments and he's giving him further instructions about what's going to happen when Israel goes into the Promised Land. And he basically is giving him instructions to make war, to destroy the Canaanite nations. But this isn't that yet. But God in his sovereignty and in his foreknowledge is telling through Isaac to Jacob, don't marry into the people that we're going to be at war with. So just keep that in mind. The first blessing, which is the one that uh, um, Jacob deceived his father in and received as a firstborn, the first blessing determines a patriarchal succession. In other words, because of that blessing, Jacob was going to become the patriarch of the family, not Esau. But this one, the blessing up here, explicitly linked Jacob with the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, God knows the Canaanites would become the enemies of Abraham's descendants. We look at Exodus 23, 21 and following, where God is telling Moses what Israel would encounter in the promised land. This is the backdrop, that is, God's foreknowledge of the relationship between the Canaanites and Israel in the future. This is the backdrop 
that Esau's rebellion against his parents is revealed. He married multiple Canaanite wives. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Paddan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean. Oh, we're going to hear a lot about Laban here in a bit. The brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now, Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob. Here's something that just occurred to me, and this is me thinking with my mouth open. Isn't that why I'm here? <laughs> Jacob was sent to Rebekah's family. Why didn't Isaac send Jacob to his side of the family? Now, granted, they're, they're like second or third cousins, so maybe it's all wrapped up together, but it's kind of like Rebekah's getting her way here. Now, again, Isaac is getting old. He's getting feeble. Maybe his mind is going. Maybe Rebecca is kind of like running the show by this point because maybe her husband isn't really quite up to it. I don't know. Uh, that's me just thinking with my mouth open, which is what I do. But So he's going to Rebecca's family. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. All right, this is a backhanded backslap to, uh, to Esau because Esau married Canaanite women. Several. He, had, he was married to two of them at this point. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. All right, Jacob, I don't believe Jacob is a believer at this point. And you saw that when he deceived his father in the previous chapter, he said something like, uh, um, when, when Isaac asked him, how did you get game so quickly? Thinking he was Esau. Jacob, pretending to be Esau, said, oh, the Lord your God gave me success. He didn't call him the Lord my God, Lord our God. He says, the Lord your God. He actually addressed his father like a heathen would have addressed him and like other non-believers non in Yeshua, uh, in Jehovah would have responded. The Lord your God. I'm outside this relationship. I don't have a relationship with this God, but the Lord your God gave me success. So yes, Jacob wasn't a follower of Jehovah, I believe, but he was still an obedient son in many respects. And Esau is more and more and more displaying his true heart. And you can begin to see wisdom in God manipulating events to bring Jacob to the front, even though Jacob is not qualified at this moment to be patriarch of this family. He's not qualified at this moment to take upon himself the mantle of godly leadership because he was not a godly man. But he was still obedient. There are aspects in his character which lead me to believe that he wasn't the man that God wanted him to be, wanted him to be yet. Kind of like Saul, who becomes Paul. Saul, who was an enemy of the church, later became the church's greatest champion. We're going to find that Jacob, non-believer, not qualified to be the patriarch of his family because he cheated and deceived his way to the top. Yet, 
in him, there's still a spirit of obedience. And he obeyed, he obeyed him. Esau learned that Jacob had blessed, uh, Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and summoned Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Uh, parenthetic statement, Esau was insulted. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and gone to Padan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father, Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and he married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth and the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. So he married a couple women from who were descendants of Ishmael, Isaac's half-brother, or uh Yes, Ibram's, Isaac's half-brother. I'm getting all these names confused. So his response was to, dis, was to go deeper and deeper into disobedience. Jacob's not a saint here, but yet there was still obedience in him. He learned that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother. Esau just threw his attitude in the face of his parents. This is a messed up family. So Jacob had a dream. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, when Jacob woke, awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid. This is a good word. He was afraid. That's important. And said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it, and he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, and this he's making a vow, and he's vowing to himself. He's not talking to God. He hasn't talked to God yet. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. He's speaking to God there in that last sentence. Jacob had just had a dream where he encountered God, and now he's putting God to the test. If God will be with me and return me to my family, then the Lord will be my God. Jacob's journey towards God, I believe, begins here, at this moment. Now, my story, my story, personal story, parallels Jacob to an extent. 
I've shared my testimony about how I got saved under the ministry of a black, full gospel black church choir in boot camp. I didn't share the prequel to that. Um, I did, I was correct when I said I went to church to get away from my company commander because that was the last place on earth he would ever be. The Sunday previous to that encounter with the full gospel black choir, they had a Southern Baptist preacher in there. He was a hellfire and brimstone type preacher. And he preached about heaven. And he was a wordsmith. He was amazing. He preached about heaven and you could hear the angels singing. Then he preached about hell and you could feel the flames licking up around your ankles. Gotta tell you, one of the most powerful sermons. Now, I went down to the front and there they had an altar call and they handed out these little pamphlets called the Four Spiritual Laws. And they take you through it, zippity, zippity, zip. And then you say a little prayer at the back and you sign it. Nothing happened inside. That was going to be the next week. But I remember, I remember going home, going back to my barracks, excuse me. I remember going back, walking back to my barracks, smoking a cigarette, realizing that something important had happened. I didn't know what it was. But I remember smoking. And as I flipped my cigarette away, I said these words. God, if you're really there, show me tonight by having somebody I've never met come up to me and ask me to join them in a Bible study. In the back of my mind, I'm going, that ought to settle it. And I go back, and that's kind of like the promise that Jacob made to God, a vow, saying, you know, if you take care of me and bring me back home, then you'll be my God and I'll give you the 10th of everything I, I get. And I was kind of like that. God, if you're really there, then show me. Have someone come up to me that I've never met, ask me to join them in a Bible study. So that night, I'm in the barracks. Now at this point, we hadn't been split up into separate companies. So there was, you know, a company had like 60 people in it. There was like four or five companies worth of men in this long, long, long barracks. So it was 250, 300 men. And we're getting ready for the next day. We're polishing our boots and, you know, uh, setting our clothes out for the next day. And I'm down at one end. And for whatever reason, I looked up and I saw clear at the other end of the barracks, a guy walking down the middle with this big horse choking Bible under his arm. Don't know his name now. Didn't know his name then. He walks straight up to me. And as he's walking up to him, the hair in the back of my neck stands up. And he comes up and says, you're Garwood, right? I said, yeah. We're having a Bible study tonight. Why don't you join us? And that was it. He walked away. I can't tell you if I went to the Bible study. I don't remember. But what I do remember was the thought in my head, oh, man, there is a God. He just called me. He just called my bluff. And in that spirit, I go back to the church service next week where I get saved. Kind of like Jacob here. Jacob had a dream and he saw something of God and he was afraid. Why would Jacob be afraid? Well, because he wasn't really a follower of God at this point, I don't think. Maybe he's discovering that the God of Abraham and Isaac is somebody that's to be listened to. And he hadn't been listening. When I got saved the following Sunday under that black full gospel choir, 
my first response when I felt the presence of God was fear. And I had those words, depart from me, you wicked, to the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I knew that I was a sinful man in the presence of a sinless God. And I deserved to die. There was fear. Jacob, I think, experienced God for the very first time, the presence of God. And it says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid. God was there and he hadn't been aware. And now he was aware and he was afraid. Why was he afraid? Because he's Jacob the deceiver. Abraham and Isaac had a relationship with the God of the universe. Jacob did not. And by his behavior, he was making a mockery of Isaac uh, 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 and Rebekah. He, he, this wasn't a great family to be part of. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. And I, and he said, and he was afraid. And then he sets up, makes a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me, just like me going home, going back to the barracks after that. Well, God, if you're there, as I flip my cigarette away, show me. God showed me. You know, there's a, uh, God is not afraid to be challenged. If someone is truly looking for answers, God is not afraid to be challenged. I believe, and I've told people this when, I, when I've shared my faith with them. I said, I'm not going to ask you to bow your knee right now. I want you to challenge God. I want you to ask God to show you that he's there. God has this incredible way of showing up in a person's life in a way that that person recognizes that it's God. Now, I got saved under the ministry of black gospel, full gospel church choir. But I don't recommend, I don't tell everybody, you've got to go find a black full gospel church, listen to the choir and get saved. That's just, God got to me with that method because I'm a musician and that music stunned me to my inner core. I'd never heard music so beautiful, so amazing, and so different. God reached me through that music because, well, I'm a musician. Um, God is not, he's up to the challenge. If you're not a believer and you're listening to this, here's what I would tell you to do. Have the guts to speak out loud and say, God, if you're there, show me. I need to know if you're really there, show me. The Bible says, they that seek me early will find me. If you search for me and seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. God is able to do that. And that's what God is starting to do in Jacob's life. Surely, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. <sighs> I challenge you, ask God to show himself. And to my believing friends, I would say the same thing. Ask God to show himself. If you're in a situation where you need wisdom and you need guidance, God is able to communicate with you. Ask him. God wants fellowship. 
God wants to walk with us. Ask him to show himself. I do it all the time. I do it all the time. Because I'm dense and thick and dumb as a box of rocks sometimes. I don't see things that I ought to see. I don't discern what I ought to discern. I have to depend on God. God, show me. What do I do? Where do I go? He's never been insulted by my plea. He won't be insulted by your plea. Surely God is in this place. And I did not know. Many of us folks are walking around not knowing that God is in this place. Did you know that God is in this room with me right now? When you go to church, God is in that room. Worship doesn't bring down the presence of God. God is already there. You just don't know it. Don't be like Jacob. Surely God was in this place and I was not aware of it. Hmm. Good stuff. Well, tomorrow we are going to continue on with Jacob's little adventure and we're going to introduce you to a fella by the name of Laban. And Jacob is about to learn his most important life-changing lesson ever. All right, folks, that's enough for me. I'm done. I'm out of here. This is my coffee. I'm Paige. Have a great day. Bye-bye. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.